Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. We're going to read from the beginning of this chapter through verse 17. Our focus tonight will be on verses 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put, away, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, I mentioned last week in our study of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, we have moved on to the next section. Uh, remember, the chapter 1 was really the introductory issues, Paul's prayer for the church, and speaking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we had those warnings for the church, intellectual warnings and ethical warnings. And now in chapter 3, we move on to Paul's instructions for the church. And in chapter 3, we will see that Paul is working from rather general instructions in the first 17 verses to some very specific instructions we'll look at together in verses 18 and following. The book of Colossians is about the 
practical outworkings of our theology. Because we believe who God is, because we believe what Christ has done, we are called to live in a certain way. That's why he begins chapter 3, verse 1, the word if, but should be since. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Because you belong to Christ, because you know what he has done for you, now live in a particular way. Kids, last week, really, I only gave you half of a sermon. Last week, we looked at the first 11 verses of this chapter, but that was really half of this sermon. As Paul, in these first 17 verses, talks about how we should live. Last time, those things that we should not do. Remember verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And verse 8. But you must live in them and put them all away. Not live in them, put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to each other. Since you have put off the old self. Last week, what those things we should put off, those things we should do away with because of what Christ has done for us. Tonight, we get the second half of that sermon. Not only what we should put off, but those things that we should put on. That's where we begin in verse 12. Put on, then, these various things. Now, I have to confess, I was a little um, concerned about dividing the sermon in this way, the last time what you should put off, and this time what you should put on, because I don't want to give you the impression that these are two separate things that we have to put off all the old nature before we begin putting on the new nature. No, these two things go on side by side and hand in hand. We don't wait to put off all the old ways before beginning to put on the new ways. These two things go together. So although they're two different sermons, they really are one. Uh, two parts of one sermon uh, as we together see the practical applications of our theology in our life, uh, what we should not do, what we should do, and how in this way we seek to bring glory to God. So tonight, uh, Rules for Christian Conduct, Part 2. Paul says in verse 12, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Who is this instruction for? Remember, we're talking about how our theology affects our actions. And Paul will remind us again about that theology. You are those who are chosen by God. You are those who are holy and beloved in Him. Because if we disconnect these type of ethical instructions from who we are in Christ... We have maybe wonderful moralistic preaching, but we ultimately say, you know, you're a good person, be better. There's no gospel there. The gospel is, look at what Christ has done for you. And in light of that, live in a certain way. Put on then as God's chosen ones. 
God has chosen a people for His very own. It was not uh, our decision to seek after God, but God chose us to be His own. In fact, He chose us as His own before the foundations of the world. He made that sovereign choice. He chose you to be His. Now, He worked that out in time as He had us embrace the gospel, as He brought us to faith in Jesus Christ, but it was God's choice as those who are chosen by God, as those who are holy. Now, we're going to talk uh, next Sunday morning in our Knowing God series about God's holiness. So I'm not going to say a lot about that tonight, other than to say when Paul says we are those who are holy, means we are those who are to be set apart from the world. We are not to look like the world. To be holy is to be set apart, distinct. It is to put away the old ways of life. You have been chosen by God. You are now seen in Christ Jesus as holy, and you are beloved. Beloved of the Father. He set His love upon you. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. We live this way not so much uh, um, because we chose to love God first, but He chose to love us. And in response to that glorious choice, we now say, how can I honor you? How can I live for you? How can I show you my devotion? Because I am one of those who's beloved, beloved by the Father. As, as Paul uses these terms, God's chosen, those holy, those beloved, he is reaching back into the Old Testament. He is reaching back and using terms that have always been used to describe the people of God. Let me make a note to yourself later to look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy <coughs> excuse me, chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning at verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. It was because the Lord loves you, because the Lord loves you. Chosen, holy, loved by God. Paul is reminding the church that God has always had a people for himself, and they are part of that people. They are part of that chosen people set apart by God to love him and to live for him. In fact, these same terms, chosen, holy, beloved, are used to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ is described as the one who is chosen and precious to God. In John 6, he is called the Holy One of God. In Matthew 3, God says, this is my beloved Son. It is in Christ that these truths belong to us. Not because of who we are. We're so great. No, in Christ we are chosen. In Christ we are holy. In Christ we are the beloved of God. What he has done for us. The description of his church back in the Old Testament the description of his church in the New Testament, the description of his church 
today. We are those who have been brought in. We are those who are chosen by our God. We are those whom He set apart as holy. We are those on whom He has shed His love. And, and, and knowing this truth, knowing this theology, what God has done for us, we say, how can I respond to Him? What can I do to show Him my thanksgiving? Paul elsewhere will use the phrase that we are to be imitators of God. He's going to flesh that thing out here in, first, in Colossians. Again, put on then as God's chosen, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on these, these virtues because of what Christ has done. Be compassionate and kind. Be concerned about those around you. Show, show your love by caring for them. Show your love for those around you by praying for them because you have a heart of compassion. You desire to show kindness. We treat others like we would like to be treated, with compassion, with kindness. This should be the character of the Christian life as we seek to imitate our God, being made in His image, compassionate, being kind, in humility, a true humility. Now, sometimes we can have a false humility. Um, someone says, hey, we need someone to do this particular thing in the church, and we, we say, well, you know, I, I can't do that. That's not what I'm, I'm good at, and we have a false humility. But we have to have a true humility, and that is being willing to use our gifts to serve others. Humility is demonstrated in service. Yes, we recognize everything we have, we have received from God, and in humility we desire to serve Him and serve His church. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with, with meekness and patience. Meekness is a word we don't use very much. We often think of meekness in terms of weakness. It is not weakness. Meekness actually speaks about strength that we have, an inner strength. Meekness and patience are very closely connected with each other. Meekness deals with how it is we approach other people. How are we seen by them? Do we come across as those who are uh, boasting, as those who, who think too much of themselves? We are to show meekness, uh, a gentleness, a tenderness as we approach others. Um, some people are very uh, theologically astute, and they can explain the intricacies of theology very, very well, but they do so like a bull in a china shop. That's not meekness. It's about being able to gently come alongside someone and explain to them the beauties of the gospel. Meekness, how we approach others. Patience, how we respond when others approach us. When someone comes to us and wants to help us in our walk with the Lord, they want to come alongside us to give us encouragement, how do we respond to them? Do we do so with patience? 
Or do we say, who are you to talk to me? How do we respond when our brothers and sisters want to come alongside us to encourage us? Meekness, patience, because you are God's people, holy and beloved. Clothe yourself. Put on these things, Paul says. He goes on, verse 13, bearing with one another. Bearing with each other. The church is described as the family of God. And we know that sometimes families disagree with each other. How do we, how do we react to that? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we gentle with each other when we find ourselves at odds with someone? Do we, do we work for resolution? Are we, are we long-suffering? Do we bear with one another? This is to be the character of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Bearing with each other and forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiving each other. Forgiveness should be the character of the Christian life. We so often in our sinfulness want to hold a grudge. We want to hold something against someone when we are wronged by them. But Paul reminds us we are to forgive each other as the Lord forgave us. We forgive because we are forgiven. And if we think of all the offenses that we have committed against our Father, against a holy God, the sins we continually commit, and God again and again and again forgives us, in light of all that God has done, who are we to hold anything against a brother or sister in Christ? We forgive because we have been forgiven by God. All our sins, all our iniquities, we may not hold an offense against a brother or sister. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive because they too have been forgiven. When someone uh, comes and, and we are offended, we have an, they have an offense against them, and they, they come and they seek reconciliation, and also with God, if they confess before God and God has forgiven them, then who are we to hold the sin against them? They've been forgiven by God. The, the perfect judge, the righteous judge, has forgiven them. Are we going to hold an offense against them? Forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive each other. It is to be the character of the Christian life, to know the forgiveness of God. And it is that forgiveness that God once again calls us to rec recognize and embrace tonight. If we are living a life of unrepentant sin, then call to Him. And He is the one who is ready to forgive, rich to forgive, and all the fullness of Christ given to us. If only we would embrace Him by faith. God is so good, so loving, so forgiving of His people. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with each other, forgive each other. And then in verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together 
in perfect harmony. Put on love. A love for God. A love that is devoted to Him. And a love for God which expresses itself in love for His people. We cannot claim we love our Father in heaven without loving our brothers and sisters here on earth. Put on love which binds them all together, which gives us unity, which gives us harmony. You want harmony in the church, then demonstrate that love, a love which was shown to us. It must express itself in our life. Paul concludes this section of of chapter 3, this uh, this general section before going on to the specifics, by giving us three final instructions. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule. And if the peace of Christ is ruling within us, that means we are not ruling within us. We are not giving in to the sinful desires to get even with others. But the peace of Christ is ruling. We are putting off the old man. He is no longer in control and putting on that new man. The peace of Christ living not in discord, but in unity with each other, with Christ at the center of our life. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Thankful for what God has done. Thankful for His goodness to us. Let the peace of Christ rule. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. The word of Christ dwelling in us. The picture here is taking up its residence. The word of Christ lives within us. In an ongoing way, we continually take in that Word of God. Daily instruction, daily intake, daily putting it into practice. As more and more we are finding ourselves in that Word, studying that Word, and applying that Word in our lives. Let the the Word of Christ dwell in you. Not be... uh, simply like a a quick motel stop. You're there for a night and then move on someplace else. No, the Word makes its residence within us as we simply can't get enough of that glorious Word. As a a minister, I think perhaps um, I may listen to sermons a little differently than other people. Um, I don't just listen to what is being said Um, I listen to how it is being said. And once in a while, I will hear someone preach, and I will think, wow, they put that really, really well. Um, I had that experience last Sunday evening. As I was here, sitting in church, listening to my colleague, Reverend Squeers, preach, and he was talking about, about desiring the Word of God, desiring that pure milk, and he used the phrase, a nibble is not enough. Oh, I wish I'd said that. It's just not enough. A nibble is not, and I thought, that's it. That's exactly it. 
We desire that word to dwell inside of us. We simply can't get enough. And day after day, we have that constant intake of the word of God that it might surround us in our life. It might be part of our life, in our devotions, in our relations with other people. The word just is part and parcel of who we are. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. And he says finally, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Being named by the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is upon us. We are known as Christians. Your neighbors, your co-workers should know that name has been placed upon you. You are a Christian. Do everything in that name. You will be a reflection of whose you are. When, uh, when our kids um, were entering their uh, high school teenage years, um, once in a while they would you know, go out with their friends and we um, would, would give them instructions as they're going out the door. Um, and one of the things I would sometimes tell the kids is, um, don't forget, you're a Nehemiah. You have my name. What you do will be a reflection on me. Christ put his name on us. We are called Christian. We bear that name. And what we do is a reflection upon him. Paul says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. In word or in deed. We as Christians should sound different. We should not sound like the world. We should not sound like all of those around us. Our words should be different. In word and in deed, we should act different. Not simply going along with the flow but bearing the name of Jesus Christ. All of this reflects who he is and what he has done for us. This is our calling. Since we have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. That, that fundamental theological statement affects how we live, affects our words, affects our actions. Paul has instructed us not only to put off the old man, but to put on these, this new man and these various things accompanying that, being chosen by God, being holy, being beloved. Therefore, be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. Bear with each other and forgive each other. This is to be the character of the Christian life. And so I, I end uh, this sermon the way we ended last week. Once again, the Apostle Paul has instructed the Christian church as to what their theology needs to mean for them. What difference will this Word of God make in your life? Not only in your thinking, what difference will this Word of God make in the coming week? Tomorrow in your recreation or when you go back to work later in the week. In your, in your life as a family, your role as husband and wife and parent and child, what difference will it mean to you 
that you have been raised with Christ. You are chosen by God. You are holy and beloved. Oh, may God continue by the power of his spirit to work within us, putting off the old nature, putting on the new nature. And all of this, not because we're such great people, but because we have a great God, a God who has chosen us, a God who has loved us, and a God who has called us to be holy for him. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are so thankful for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's easy for us, O oh God, to, to get caught up in the theology of what that means. We can talk about Christology, we can talk about his person and his work, but help us never forget that what Christ did, he did for us and for our lives to change the way we live. If we have failed, O oh God, to put on the new man, if we have failed to clothe ourselves with these things, we ask that you would forgive us. If we have failed to forgive those around us, if we are living out of harmony, we pray, O oh God, you would humble our hearts. You would help us to remember all that you have done for us, and you would give, you would give us a greater desire a greater devotion in every part of our life to live for you. We know, O oh God, that left to ourselves we are weak and frail, and so we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We might show forth the glories of Jesus Christ, whose name we bear. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to 449 in the Psalter hymnal. Number 449, fill that.